Hey, welcome to Homestead Family Podcast. This week's episode is with Dr. Kim Kimberling. He is a returning guest at Homestead Family Podcast. It's so awesome to have him back on. I'm going to be having a conversation with him around prenup agreements, sneaky killers in marriages, communication, and how that affects relationships, and even racism. So you'll want to stay tuned and hear the conversation that we have together. Along with that, you may notice that there's been a bit of a break in the release of new episodes of podcasts. And honestly, I had this conversation with Dr. Kim back in July of 2021. Now, there's been a lot of things happening in my life, and I just have not had the time or the headspace to be able to sit down and record these episodes like I would like. So I'm hoping now that I'm able to get back in a regular routine and produce some content and get these episodes back up on a regular weekly basis for you because producing these shows is something that I really enjoy and is just something that I've grown to like. And I love podcasts. I probably listen to way too many. They're affecting my ability to listen to audiobooks at this point, honestly. But anyways, it's been a crazy year and I'm super excited to be bringing you this conversation with Dr. Kim Kimberling. So let's get into that intro music and conversation. You're listening to Homestead Family Podcast. Hey, Dr. Kim, so glad to have you joining us back on the podcast. You're my first repeat visitor. What an honor. It is great yes. to be back. Uh, had a good time last time. Looking forward to it. Love what you're doing. And uh, podcast is growing. And so it's uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's so great. We just actually got the notification this morning that we hit 750 downloads on the podcast. So Yay. that's, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Every step is just a celebration, I think. Yeah. So good. Well, you know, um, I love having you on because you have so much wisdom. You've been doing yeah, thank you. counseling and working with families for over, what, 40 years now? Yeah, it's 40 years now, which is amazing. Wow, what a, what a blessing. That. It has been a blessing. Yeah. So uh, let's just kind of dive right into it. I actually sure. did a poll from some friends and listeners, and uh, this is a um, submitted question episode, right? I didn't come up with any of these questions on my own. They're all asked by other people. So, uh, the first one was what should be put in a prenuptial agreement and what are the pros and cons of prenuptial agreements? That's a really good question. It's a question that I don't get asked a lot in counseling, but it comes up when a couple, uh, kind of is in that situation where maybe, uh, second marriage, maybe it's, whatever reasons, maybe yeah. it's family pressure. I've had that happen before with a family that was very wealthy, marrying uh, someone else that wasn't, you know, what do we do in those situations? It's, it's a tough question for me because I think God intended marriage to be permanent. Mm -hmm. He intended to be lasting as both spouses are alive. And so when I look at the way I look at marriage, why would we have a prenup agreement? You know, right. it's like we're going, if we go into this with thinking, the what ifs, then I think it takes away from, from the marriage. And I think mm. marriage is a, is a process. You know, one of the things I I've talked about with a couple of people is the fact that 
so many people give up early in marriage in the first few years. And, and most of us that have been through to where even 10, 15, 20 years, or Nancy and I at 50 years, we know that the hard things we've gone through that we've persevered through and God's guide us through has made our marriage what it is today. And mm. it saddens me when I see somebody give up. So I guess anything a prenup to me is, are, are, is that like there's an out? Is there always a back door to your marriage? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's good. I think it's, you go into marriage that divorce is not a option. And so uh, to me, a lot of times a prenuptial agreement allows the possibility of divorce. Now, I, I understand sometimes things that people come to me with, you know, well, this and that and second marriage, we've got our kids and I'm not an attorney. So, but I think, can you, can you handle some of those things with the trust? Can you do some things with other legal things without mm -hmm. doing a premarital agreement to, I, I understand wanting to make sure your kids are provided for and take care of or family or something, or maybe mm -hmm. you want to give a certain amount of money in the trust that to an organization or something. So, so okay. certainly to be able to do those wishes, but is there another way to do that? So I guess it's kind of a long answer to, I'm not in favor of prenups. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a sin. Um, but I, but I do think it, um, puts a, um, asterisk by your marriage that doesn't need to be there. Sure. Kind of puts a, almost a built-in limit or barrier in the relationship, right? We're not just going to go here. This is because the marriage is a union of two people coming, right? Uh, we see two yeah. people becoming one, but except for in this area, this, I'm going to hold this off to the side, it just, and I know it's, um, some people see it as their emergency plan, or I hope I never have to use it type thing. And a lot of times it comes from people who get uh, married later in life who have built up a right. lot of uh, wealth or assets in their life or things that they care about that they wouldn't want to lose if something did go wrong or bad. And I think, you know, with divorce rates over 50%, it's not unreasonable to look at that. I don't want to lose the house that I bought sure. that I love or the, you know, the investments that I've, I've done that I've worked hard for. Um, but it, I, yeah, coming alongside each other is something really tough. I, when you were talking in your answer, it almost sounded like maybe another option to a prenuptial agreement would be something like a living will. That's what I wonder. And obviously it kind of makes me think, okay, I want to talk to attorney about this and kind of see what options are there now, yeah. which I haven't done, but, but I would want to explore all the other options to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And I think the thing is, um, well, I had a couple, this was probably five or six years ago mm -hmm. and they were getting ready to get married, blah, blah, blah. He had been married before she had not, uh, a week before marriage, he presented her with a prenuptial agreement. And it mm -hmm. devastated her. They wow. put the wedding off. They eventually married, but there was a lot of stuff there because she said, all of a sudden, I think he doesn't trust me. Right. And so yeah. I, I think whatever you're going to do, whether it's going to an attorney to talk about how do we handle this, uh, do it together, be a team, start out being a team with that before your marriage and do that together. So you both feel good about what goes on as yeah. opposed to one person feeling like I'm being punished or I'm mm -hmm. being, you know, it is he or she just making sure there's a way out if he want he or she wants out. And yeah. so I think those things are just so detrimental to a marriage. Marriage is hard enough anyway in our culture. You mentioned the high divorce rate. Mm -hmm. I mean, we fight a battle anyway. We have a culture that doesn't value marriage in the way that, that I wish that we would. Um, and, and so I think we do everything we can to help people have a successful marriage and not to do things that say, eh, if it doesn't work out, we'll get out of this right. deal. 
Yeah. Do it early and do it together would probably be my advice. Like talk about it. Don't have it be something that you know you want, but it's not talked about even in the dating phase. I think usually people with prenups, there's two classes, either both want it, right? Because they both have something that they've built in their individual life, or there's a disparity where one person maybe um, has more assets and the other doesn't. So they want to kind of protect from maybe someone who's trying to take advantage of them. And I think what you mentioned was it happening later in life a lot. I think it is because I think all of a sudden sometimes you get the input of of kids, adult kids, and mm. well, they want to protect their themselves and their kids and all that kind of stuff uh-huh. gets in. So it can get complicated. I, I yeah. agree with that. But I yeah. think there's always answers that can honor what you're trying to do in a marriage and also honor God and, and what you're, I mean, you're going to stand before an altar and you're going to make a covenant with God. Mm-hmm. And I, I think God takes covenants very, very seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. Well, thank you. That's a great, I think that's a great answer and a, a way to think about it, right? It's not a yes or a no, but really, because marriage is working together. Can we work together on this? Like, Absolutely. And that could be the first act. Like, hey, let's discuss prenuptials. Let's, it's open. Let's blue sky it. Um, what's, what's your thoughts on it? What's my thoughts? What's a plan we can do together? And then from the beginning, you're working on your relationship together, even with something as weird as a prenuptial agreement in case the marriage goes south. Like it could still be something that brings the relationship together. Yeah. And one thing I thought of, you know, that if you're in a, in a church, you might ask your pastors, there's somebody in our churches has been through this already that, mm-hmm. that you respect and feel like they did this well. I, I think it's sometimes always good to get some input from someone that's done something well, that's a step ahead of you. Yeah. And, uh, and so looking for a mentor kind of thing, and that can be helpful too. That's always great advice. And I always think, you know, just because you have something doesn't mean you have to use it, right? Just yes. because you have it doesn't mean you have to use it. Um, so there's always that where you could do it and doesn't mean it's it's not permanent and forever, right? You could um, nullify it or have it Absolutely. canceled out down the road. So that's something to consider too, if someone's really considering whether or not to maybe start with it Good or point. move forward. Uh, what about uh, our next question was the big three problems we hear about in marriage revolve around sex, money and kids. What areas should couples watch for that aren't found in those areas or what areas should couples watch for that aren't finding those areas difficult either anymore or ever? Like if you're not struggling with sex, money or kids, what are the sneaky relationship killers? couple things and we just did a survey of the people that subscribe to our one thing email and we've got about 120,000 couples that get that every day and we had a pretty good response to it um, and communication was far and above the biggest concern and I think it good communication makes such a difference in a marriage there's mm-hmm. a survey that says if, if you have good communication 97 percent of those people say they have a good marriage and I think yeah it, it connects you it it get you on the same page with things that help you understand things It gives you the forum to talk about those things like sex and money and kids. And so I think what I think sometimes good communication couples have or think they have, and it can kind of uh, slip away. They maybe not put as, because you have to be very intentional, I think, to keep good com- communication going. And when you yeah. do that, I think it sets a foundation to really deal with whatever comes up in your marriage relationship. And so I, I think a lot of the problems that we deal with in marriage, if you're communicating well and listening to each other well and valuing each other's opinion, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us um, keep those sneaky relationship killers out of our marriage. So I think that would be one thing. The other thing I see couples not do is not resolve conflict well. Mm-hmm. Nancy and I were 
expert in not resolving conflict well early in marriage, you know, we'd fight and, you know, some fights were not good at all. And we wouldn't talk for a couple of days and then we'd kind of miss each other and we would kind of get back together, but we never would resolve that conflict. And what mm -hmm. we found were somehow or other, either what happened in the conflict or the topic came up again. And so I think sometimes uh, we think, well, things are better. And, and I've had couples say, well, yeah, we never resolved that, but things are going good now. I don't want to rock the boat. Well, probably the boat's going to get rocked at some point. Right. And so I, I think it's so important for a couple to, to make sure if there's a conflict, you really resolve it. And, and for me, for Nancy and I, it was, if, if it's resolved, it means we both feel good about it and it doesn't come up again. And so I kind of give that as couples as a kind of a guideline, but I think mm -hmm. it's so important for us to do that. And it takes some work and, and, you know, and you may need counseling depending on what it is, but I would get to the bottom of it. The other thing that I see, and this kind of goes back, I guess, in the communication, if you don't see each other as a team, I, I mentioned that with the premarital, I think we, I talk about that probably more than I ever did because I see the value of it, that couples get what it is to be a team, to fight together instead of against each other. Mm. And if you see this as my biggest advocate in this life, this is my partner for life. This is the person that God put me together with. This is the one we made the covenant with that you are a team, it makes everything you do in marriage, you just have a different filter when you look at things. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, the, the next question actually kind of leads into this one. How do you get your spouse to communicate more clearly, right? Always <laughs> uh, looking at the other person, right? Like you can't read their minds is the, the tagline to that. Yes. So how do we get our, our spouse to com communicate more clearly with us? Yeah, somebody, there's a myth that, that if you really love someone, you can read their mind. That is such a myth. There is no way. We've been married 50 years. I can still not. Now, can we be in sync and sometimes that better than used to? Yeah, but I still can't remember. Sometimes I think, I can't believe I didn't realize that. So um, one, I think usually our wives communicate better than us as men. And I think in general. So we want, I think our wives can kind of guide us in that. I think what guys sometimes think is communication, our wives don't. I think we have to embrace our differences. Com communicating clearly, I think, really is understanding that I've got to say this in a way that Nancy can hear. Mm. I've got to not say it the way I want to hear it. I've got to make sure she heard it. We use a little technique called stop, look, listen. And basically, when you're really trying to communicate, you stop everything else. Nancy and I get face to face. So we're looking at each other and we really listen to each other so we can, so I can say something. She says, okay, I think you said this, is this what you're trying to tell me? And I can say, yep, you got it. Or nope, I got to say it different, you know, mm -hmm. because I think there's things, there's some things you can get by with with not communicating clearly. Uh, but there's some things in a marriage relationship, you really want to make sure your spouse understands and you understand because that helps prevent problems in the future. And it's a way to try to, um, you know, God made us different. I, I tell couples all the time because they'll say, oh, I wish he wasn't like this or she wasn't like that. I said, you know, if you were exactly the same, you'd be so bored. Mm -hmm. God gave you those differences so you'd learn and grow and, and life would be better because of that. And so instead of fighting those differences, fighting the way you communicate different, fighting that why in the world can he or she not understand this, yeah. embrace that and say, okay, how do I, how do I say this in a way that they can understand? Because, you know, I, we've been that way. And, and I finally figured out some way to say Nancy. And it's like almost when I see this light bulb go off in her head, I go, Hey, I want to high five her. I want to go celebrate. I said, I finally said this in a way she understood and yeah. she feels the same with me. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a work. I think it's, it's realizing the differences 
Um, and I think it's setting aside time to, to, to communicate, Austin. I think mm. a lot of times we don't do that. You've got, you've got two little kids, mm-hmm. uh, people, you know, I've got a couple, I've got one couple of seven kids, uh, you know, finding time to communicate. You can go out a month sometimes and think, my gosh, we have really never sat down and talked. And yeah. so I think being intentional about that every day, even if it's just 15 minutes, and but you set that in your day. So every day you say, how you doing? How was your day? Is there something that I need to be praying about you for? Is there something that we can pray about together? Just to touch base with each mm-hmm. other makes a difference. Yeah, there's a uh, one of the exercises I use with couples is called a daily dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's literally carving five minutes out in your day to ask specific questions. And they're kind of hard questions, but they're kind of uh, primers, right? What did you like about the relationship today? What did you not like about the relationship today? Um, and then one was like, what are you grateful for? Mm-hmm. Right. In, the, in our relationship and, and actually taking the time to have that type of conversation face to face, like you're saying, is, is super important. A lot of times if someone's not used to having a lot of time talking, um, they can kind of get overwhelmed. But like the thought, oh, I have 15 minutes to talk face to face with my spouse sounds scary. Um, so even, you know, five minutes and carving that out can be the beginning point and so important. So good. Because you're being intentional. And I think anytime we're intentional about our marriage, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. That's a great right. idea. Yeah. Here's a, a personal question for you uh, regarding counseling. And, you know, I, I understand confidentiality and not being able sure. to talk about specifics, but uh, someone asked, and I think it's just that natural curiosity we have about people and what they do, but what's the most difficult or challenging couple you've encountered that nevertheless made significant improvement and what it takes for that to occur? The one that came is a couple uh, where she had an affair and I can talk pretty openly about this because they are uh, one of my books and they also have done a version plan with us where they tell their story in, in a video, but she had an affair and she had two affairs. And when I met them, there was no way that he was going to stay in this marriage. I mean, he came to with her to talk about how they were going to handle thing with their children because he's, I've been hurt. I've been hurt again. I'll never be able to trust her again. Um, what I saw her do was do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. Uh, they separated, uh, she surrounded herself with godly women, uh, for not only accountability, but grow herself. Um, and, and she didn't push, she, he knew that she wanted to make this work. Um, and so he just watched and, and he told me one day, this was probably six months into it. She said, I, he said, I think for the first time this week, I thought there might be a chance because I've seen her heart change. Wow. And I see that I see Jesus in her in a way that I never saw before. And from then they begin to grow. Uh, they're, they're a precious couple now. They have uh, had another child since all of this happened. Uh, they have a wonderful marriage and just saw God work miracle. But he was the, what I saw in that she was willing to do whatever it takes he mm-hmm. was at some point willing to say, I'm going to give you another chance. And then yeah. we began to work on things and build things into their marriage through counseling to kind of, as much as we can, a fair proof of marriage. Mm-hmm. It sounds but like the, um, he held hope, even though he couldn't maybe verbalize it. He had hope that his spouse would change and do the things that would allow him to lean back into the relationship. Well, yes. And another thing that he did, he began after a while and he was so hurt to realize some of the things he, that he contributed to. 
Mm. that some of the things he was not doing as a husband to nurture her, care for her, love her and, and her background, which she talks about, uh, was not good. She didn't have a good father image and things like that. So she was very vulnerable. And so yeah. some of the things he did not do left that vulnerability open. And so he was able to then become more of who God wanted him to be as a husband. And it's, yeah. you know, I look at them now, they sent me, uh, a picture I guess when they were leaving the hospital with the second baby, with the baby that came after this, just thanking me that they're, and I looked at them and I thought that that is just a miracle. God can do anything. And I tell that story sometimes to people. It's one reason I asked them to finally tell their story and they were willing to do it. People need that kind of hope of what God can do. Right. We need to see a picture of restoration absolutely, in in our lives. And personally, like we can talk about it as Christians and the big idea of restoration or God can do anything, but sometimes we need a real tangible example. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. What would you say? And we've talked about a few of your interventions and things you've used already, but um, people want to know what are the most effective interventions you use and perhaps or particularly those that might have some transferability outside of therapy? You know, I think timeouts are really good if they're handled right. Mm. Um, and basically what you mean by timeout, if you're in a situation where you're just frustrated, you're not getting anywhere, or maybe it's escalating to, to have talked about it ahead of time and say, we're going to use timeouts. And yeah. if one person calls it, then they don't said, okay. Now, the important thing with a timeout is how you use that time before you come back together. Mm-hmm. My counsel is you pray about it. You think it through, you look at it. What is my part in this? Not, not what is my argument going to be against him or her? So I win this argument. No, it's like right. looking at yourself, praying about it and then coming back together. I always say whoever calls the timeout is the one who's responsible for getting you back together. And it shouldn't, you can't, you know, it needs to happen within 24 hours, I think. Yeah, uh, I'd, uh, I've recently seen some of the research from the Gottman Institute, and they mm-hmm. are looking at um, some of the uh, biology and neurology and it. And like the brain produces cortisol and it takes about a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes for it to start breaking down in the brain. Um, and so yeah. if you come back before that, you're still probably pretty worked up. So even having a minimum time in the timeout. Absolutely. Um, and they actually talk about doing what you need to to self-soothe and calm down to help uh, produce some of those other uh, chemicals in your brain to help you out, right? Some of the soothing chemicals. I can't think of them all off the head. Yeah, you want to just give. And that's why I encourage people to pray. Just say, OK, God, I uh, I need you. I mean, just simple, you know, and, and see where, and God will help calm you down. And I think God also, he wants you guys to heal. So he's going to give you some maybe ideas, thoughts, wisdom, those kind of things. Okay. And so I think when they're used effective, where, where I was bad early in marriage, I'd call a time out, but I never would get us back together. And so finally, one time, Nancy just said, you're not doing that. You wow. said, you don't come back together when we call timeouts. And I go, you're right. And so we had to renegotiate <laughs> that whole thing. So that yeah. would be one of the things. One of the things that, that I talk to couples about a lot is really trying to be empathetic with each other, mm-hmm. uh, both in the counseling room and outside of that. Try to put yourself in your, in your spouse's shoes sometimes. And I think it goes into the differences. You know, what does this look like from Nancy's perspective? How is that different than I'm looking at that? Yeah. That seems to help a lot. And then we kind of talked about it before, but listening well. Um, we don't listen well. When someone's speaking, um, you can listen five times faster than someone can speak. So you've got extra time to do something with them. What do you do with that time? You know, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking about what I'm going to do as soon as she quits talking, 
And so then she kind of asked me a question. I have no clue what she just said. That's not going to go over well. Learning to yeah. listen well to each other is important. That's so good. I, I love that. Like you're already, you've already got your response to something someone said and you just stopped listening yeah. and miss everything else. Yeah. Dad yeah. always, my dad growing up and even recently, you know, he, he'll tell people, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Oh, that's, I love that. <laughs> that that's, that is so good. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that. He's a smart guy. Someday I'm going to write a book, just a, things my dad said. Yeah. Sounds like you've got some good things there. Yeah. Okay. So timeouts. I love that, right? Empathy, working on being empathetic toward your spouse, taking time out, building strong communication habit, having a daily dialogue. Really, I think if you're doing good therapy and having good interventions, they're all applicable outside of therapy, Absolutely. right? You could all do better at that. So maybe the best thing you could do is go get some therapy, right? A little plug for our yes. career field. Yes, it, definitely. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the things uh, well, I mentioned our one thing email, but one of the things of purpose that it, it's just a one thing people can do each day for their marriage is helping people just be intentional about their marriage. Just if you can get a couple to think positive or what can I do for my, your marriage every day, they're going to be so far ahead of most couples yeah. because most couples don't we let life get in the way and we're and then all of a sudden we think oh my gosh we should have done this this and this and it's never too late to start it but why not do it now so you're building something instead of having to repair something that's so good all right the next one we had this is an interesting question and i i want to hear what you have to say but i think i know based off of the career field is what is the proportion of healthy versus in crisis or unhealthy couples that come to therapy wow probably unfortunately both is unhealthy yeah one of the things i do when i do a wedding i encourage couples to say come in at least once a year maybe the first year a couple of times uh i've got a few couples that do that not as many most of them i, I see that end up having problems is three years later when they should have come in and they didn't um mm -hmm. but I, you know I, I think we're just human and so things are going well or they're not just horrible we yeah. just kind of rock around or maybe one person says, I think we should go to counseling. The other says, nah, we're okay. Uh, I always tell couples, if one of you says, let's go to counseling, go, just go, maybe right. just go once. And maybe the counselor says, yeah, you guys really are doing good. Great. And here's something you can work on. But most couples wait until, you know, I, I think in my mind so many times, and I know you probably did too, Austin, is that, oh my gosh, I wish that it come in a year ago or five years mm -hmm. ago. I had a lady come in. This was great. They'd been married. I can't remember, 15 years, something like that. And, and they came in and she said, you know, I was given your name eight years ago and I knew then we should have come wow. in. And I thought, wow, I wish you had too. But, you know, we'll work on it where you <laughs> yeah. are. You know, I'm going to work on wherever we are. But it's just that I right. think sometimes we put it off and we think about, well, it's kind of expensive, but hey, divorce is really expensive. Mm -hmm. Or we minimize the problem. Yes. And yeah. Uh, maybe we, that way come to counseling so you don't have to use your prenuptial. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, if, if couples, if you find a counselor, you know, I've got, I do have some couples that, that have come with some real problems. They've come through it well and that do come in about once a year now. And they just, yeah. and it's kind of a preventive thing. And you'll add one come in not too long ago. And they said, you know, we don't have anything to work on, but as we talked, we came up with some things for them to work on for the next year, just to more, mm. not to repair something, but to grow their marriage. And, yeah. I think oh, that's awesome. You always want to grow your marriage. Yeah, that's the preventative maintenance versus the um, prescriptive yeah. plan, right? I think um, research shows that most couples deal with a problem for six years 
before seeking help. <sighs> and then, you know, you have the statistics of the first year of marriage, like first one to three years is the toughest. Then you have the six year mark. And then the, the third one is like a 16 and a half year is the where divorces happen to. And I think that's probably a lot where couples, uh, kids start leaving, going off to college and you have it connected mm -hmm. and, and you, you know, you, the scenario, if you look at your spouse and you think, I, I don't even know what your name is, you know, cause you haven't yeah. connected for all those years. And so it's like, why are we married? Well, we were married because mm -hmm. we'd raised kids together and maybe you did a great job of that. But if you don't nurture your marriage during that time, kids do leave. Yeah. It's that, uh, the, the distance that the apathy and indifference kind of takes. Yes. The, the next question was a few top healthy habits for marriage. Oh, some of the best habits for marriage. I think communication, spending time together every day, having fun together. Let's talk about that. I think that's so important. Sometimes I'll ask a couple, you may, and, and say, when's the last time you had fun together? And sometimes I get a really good answer. And sometimes it's like during the headlights. It's like, mm -hmm. we don't remember. Well, I said, did you have fun together before you got married? Well, yeah, we had a great time. Well, what'd you do then? And try to get them back into that. I think having fun together is so important. Laughing together, having your, your kind of your, your inside jokes for the two of you that you have, you know, just enjoying each other is so important. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in other things that, you know, you didn't get married to fight with somebody for 50 years. You know, you, you could have hired somebody to do that with. You got married to enjoy someone and do life with. And so I think that's good. The other, I, I think praying together is so important. I think when a couple consists, and, you know, I know that's hard for some people. I know mm -hmm. they think, oh my gosh, but it can be really simple. It just say, God, we're just bringing our marriage to you or help our marriage be better or help me be a better husband, help me a better wife. Just start somewhere very simple with that. But I think anytime you yeah. put God in the middle of your marriage, you're putting him right where he wants to be. And I think you'll see some results. Yeah, that's good. It's, uh, it's so true. And, you know, we have, uh, you're, you say you're marrying your best friend and then we forget, but maybe doing the things you would do with your friends, with your, your spouse, your partner. Yeah. And I think as guys, we like to do active things. And so Nancy's really good about that with doing those things with me. And then she likes to do the, the communication things and the quality time and, and her quality time sometimes is different than what mine is, but it's valuing each of those. And, you know, I never thought I'd really enjoy just sitting around talking to her for an hour. I did before yeah. marriage because I was trying to get a ring on her finger. You know, it was right. like, I'll do anything for you to say yes. But we'll put up with a lot of with the lure of uh, sex down <laughs> oh, the road. Yeah, it's like, yes. And, you know, we were, we were married when uh, Nancy was 20. And so, you know, we were pretty young. And so that was a, a big lure. But I, I think it's just, but now I love that. I look forward to it. I look forward now that we have empty nests to coming home in the evening and sitting mm -hmm. down and, and just talking. And sometimes we'll talk for 15 minutes and sometimes we'll get into something. We'll talk an hour and then we'll think, oh my gosh, we haven't had dinner yet. And, you know, I've learned to value that. And I think that's that instead of trying to, we spent a lot of time trying to put each other in a box that we thought each other should be in. And when mm -hmm. we finally said, okay, we're going to let each other be who God created them to be. Mm. And we still struggle with that. It's not perfect. Yeah. It made a huge difference for us. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that thought of allowing your spouse to be the person God created them yeah. to be. That's so good. What would be in a sentence how you would best describe or explain God's plan and design for marriage? I think it's it's the model. He give us the model of Christ in the church. I think it it is in this life the greatest relationship that there is next to our relationship with Him. And I think we learn and we grow. God teaches us so much through marriage. We get you know really in marriage you experience over the years like Nancy and I have, and we've gone through hard times together. 
We've learned how to fight fair. We've gone through the loss of, of both of our sets of parents. We've grieved together. And, and that's really what, when I look back, I think I didn't, I couldn't put that in words at 20 years old, but that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone that I could do life with and that I knew would be there. And we've learned to, I know when my dad died, I, I can remember I just laid on the bed and I was just, it was an afternoon and it just, these waves of grief were coming over. And then she just came and lay down beside me and put her arm around me. She never said a word. And to have someone that in your life that knows you well enough to know, I don't have to say anything. I can't say anything that's make this better for them, but I can be there for them. That made a difference. Mm -hmm. the, the last question that we had submitted and talked about was how to raise our kids in this current climate, right? How to have conversations with our children concerning the issue of racism in America and, you know, the response in the church. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about race and I think it's so important and valid. And even, you know, the fact that us as two white men in yeah. America are sitting talking about how do we handle this, I think is important. And how do we support our friends and communities of people of color right now? How do we end this cycle of racism that we've seen for so long and bring healing? But, you know, some of it's going to start with how we interact with our kids. So, you know, what conversations should we have or are helpful to have to help raise our kids to see these issues of racism and, you know, not raise racist kids. I think it's so important. And I think it's something that's in the forefront for all of us now. And we have some choices, you know, if we've been in a, a family or culture that's kind of promoted racism, it's time to break the cycle. And, and mm -hmm. if we haven't, you know, I was talking to my 15 year old grandson the other day and, and, and I just, I just said, um, we were just kind of talking about it. He said, you know, I don't really understand. He said, I've got, I've got some great black friends and I've got an Asian friend. And I've got a couple of Hispanic friends and I don't understand it. We just, we just see each other. And he said, I see their blackness and I see their brownness. And he said, I just enjoy them. He said, our baseball team, you know, we all kid around and have fun together. And, and so mm -hmm. I think that's interesting because he's grown up, uh, pretty much in schools where it, where it's been diversity. And so that's just been a kind of part of his life. And I think what I see in him, he sees some cultural differences, which we don't want to, I don't think we want to lose some of those cultural differences. I think those are important for all of us. Yeah. And he, he's learning to embrace those. And so I, I think depending, your kids are young. I, I think just, you know, not, I, I think just uh, helping them, just going to see everybody as God's children, I guess is what I would say. Mm -hmm. We're all God's children. How does God look at people? And then when they do, if something does come up where they see someone being righteous, I think we address it with them. And I think we tell them that, you know, I think we'd be very honest, but this isn't God's plan. I think I've learned more about racism the last year than I've ever learned. Uh, yeah. I've read a lot. I've listened to a lot. I've talked to some of my black friends, Asian friends, um, because that's become an issue now. And, and just, trying to understand thing. I have a great friend that's Hispanic. He's very, uh, had been very prominent president of a large company. And he were, I were talking kind of in the middle of this and we were talking about the profiling things. And, and he said, I never have told you this. He said, when we first moved to Oklahoma city, he said, I was driving a really nice car and I was pulled over. And the first thing the policeman said to me, where'd you get this car? Did you steal it? And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is a guy mm. at that time was, had moved to Oklahoma city. He was president of a big company. And that, and I thought, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even know that, that you yeah. would experience something like that. So that was someone that I loved and cared for. And as a close friend, really had home to me. And I thought, yeah, I, I can only do what I can do 
but I'll do everything I can to just to understand myself. Am I, do I have some racist things in me? And I've learned that some things I didn't think were are, and, and I grieved at that. And now to try to just love people the way God wants me to love them and see the value in every person. And that's mm-hmm. what I want for my grandkids. And that's what I see their parents building in them also. I yeah. hope that's a good answer. Well, I'm, Hey, we're, we're doing our best, yeah. right. And, and trying to figure it out. And I, I think that is as big as anything is it's not enough to just be not racist, right? We have to yep. be the, the term that use I hear a lot is anti-racist, anti-racist where we yeah. actually oppose and stand against absolutely racism and doing, uh, if we see something that is racist or persecutory towards people, not, it's not enough to just not do that act ourselves, but actually stand up and oppose it and call it out as wrong. Yes. And, and reflecting, like you said, what is in me that is, what prejudice do I have? What uh, stereotypes do I have? What hurtful things have I said and done that would be hurtful or offensive to a person of color, to someone who's different than me that I haven't been aware of before that internal work can be really hard. It is. And I, th- I think just like anything we do, if we go to God and say, God, reveal this in me, you know, the search me heart mm-hmm. search my heart and know me, test me in the wife's thoughts, see if there's an offensive way in me and lead me that way of understanding. So God, yeah. God will answer that prayer and, and just be careful when you pray it. Cause he's going to answer it. You know, he, mm-hmm. he may throw something at you think, Ooh, okay. You know, I got to deal with that. But I think, I think it is. And, and I think I was naive in some ways before the last few years and, and really thought we don't really have a race problem anymore. Mm-hmm. That was so naive. I didn't just because I wasn't in the middle of it. I wasn't around in the, in the friends that I have that were different colors. I didn't really ever take the time to ask them what they were experiencing. And it was mm-hmm. good. Re- I thought good relationships, but I never s- took the time to ask them about race and, and, right. and what they were dealing with. And that's changed now. I want to know. That's so true. Yeah. Having that actual taking our friendship seriously and caring about what our friends are going through and being aware of that is, is huge. Yes. And I think even for me, one of the things I've seen is the acknowledgement of the, the grief really that all of our friends and communities are experiencing. Like we just had the um, horrible murders in Atlanta on the uh, Asian community and like knowing, man, that, that is a communal grief, Yes, right? That a community of people, it's a, a highlight of an issue that we don't see or, or over the past year and a half, the highlight of the issue in the black community of the things that they're going through. And one thing I really respect and admire is their ability to grieve as a community mm. versus um, I think something that my background and being white, we don't, it's not as much a communal approach to life. It's very much individualistic and seeing that. And then there's this ongoing ambiguous grief and loss that's been experienced and being aware with that and knowing when someone's in grief, how do we handle that? Mm-hmm. And we can be really bad at handling grief, but if we allow and, and loss in general, but we have to allow the space for that to exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so well said. Uh, Cause I think it really is. And I think there is value in learning to grieve as a community. And it doesn't mean you agree with everything with the person, but you no. can, that's empathy and compassion. Like you can come alongside, man, I see that you're hurting. That's horrible. And I want to come alongside you with that. We see that so well in the Bible. Jesus did that. Job, uh, we see that at the beginning that his friends came and sat for seven days without saying anything. Yeah. 
in in the middle of his grief. Yeah. Um, and then you know the their relationship kind of breaks down once they start talking. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's something to take note of. They probably should have stayed right. Just finished reading Job through my Bible in a year plan. We just finished Job. Nancy and I talked a lot yeah. about it because it's it's a it's a fascinating book. Yeah, so true. So what is something um as we wrap up today? Dr. Kim, that you're currently doing that you just love? I am. One thing I, that I just finished, I've just finished a children's book and uh, it was inspired by my youngest grandson and his kind of his experience with God at four or five years old when he would just mm. see that in nature. And I just had this picture one time and he was just bending over in the backyard and he was seeing bugs and stuff that I didn't see and just asking questions about him. So the book's called Eli's Best Friend, and uh, his best friend ends up being God, and I've got a great illustrator that's working with me on it now, and I'm excited. But I've never done anything like that, but I felt I just had this in. I thought, okay, I need to write this. That, and then uh, the other thing with all that's going on with awesome marriage, uh, God has blessed it. It's grown up. We're, we're seeing God do amazing things in couples' lives around the world, wow. and there's nothing probably more rewarding uh in ministry than that. It's been, it's been so good to see God. It's so cool when God uses you and you think, how in the world did you pick to use me? And I'm just grateful. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I love, you know, listening to your guys' podcast. You, I think since the last time we talked, um, it may have been very new or just started, but you have a, um, new podcast, the better man podcast, we do. right? With Pastor Colby Taylor. We've started that. We're doing one a month and we, uh, ended up last year and, uh, it's growing and we're, uh, our idea with that is just a place for guys. Can we try to talk about things that are important to guys? And we also have a list of questions and we encourage guys to get with a couple other guys or one guy or whatever and, mm. and process some of the things. And we try to talk about things that that are important to guys. Well, that's so awesome. And we, and we try to have a lot of fun doing it. We don't want it to be too dry. So we'll, we'll you know, right. cut up a little bit too. There you go. Oh, that's so needed. I think, you know, we've been so individualistic, especially in our country, building that community, building that support, yes. being open and honest as men is so important. So I love that you're reaching out. Thanks. And doing it's been that. fun to do for sure. My last question would be, what would be one thing that you hope every couple would know? That God has a plan for their marriage and he's going to, he's going to help you get that. I mean, he, each, I tell each couple, nobody will have a marriage like yours. There's only one of each one of you. So there's only going to be one marriage like this. God has a plan for it. Just seek his plan and, and stay on path, be intentional about your marriage. And, you know, at the end of 50, 60 years, you're going to think that's a, that's a pretty good deal. This marriage thing was a good deal for me. So good. Well, thank you, Dr. Kim, so much for your time. How can our listeners learn more about what you're doing and connect with you online if they want to? Sure. AwesomeMarriage.com has kind of a link to everything we do. Our podcasts are on iTunes, um, Awesome Marriage Podcast, Better Man Podcast. The one thing, email is a great way to connect with us and kind of start to be intentional about your marriage. It's one thing.email. Uh, comes out Monday through Friday, and it's one thing you can do each day for your marriage. And we try to make it real simple. So it's not like, you know, it's not going to take you four hours to do it. No, you can do it in just a couple of minutes. And, but it's being yeah. intentional every day for your marriage. And then social media, we're on every platform, even TikTok now. So <laughs> there you go. We're everywhere. <laughs> That's so good. Well, thank you so much for the time. I, I appreciate it and your wisdom and just the ability to connect and build a relationship with you guys. Austin, it's been great. I love what you're doing. And thanks so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Homestead Family Podcast. This podcast is actually produced by Homestead Family Therapy in 
Pennsylvania. So if you are looking for therapy and support in the state of Pennsylvania, feel free to reach out to homesteadfamilytherapy.com. And we would love to have a conversation about what working together could look like. Otherwise, we also would love to help connect you with a therapist or professional in your area. If you're struggling finding the support you need, we would love to be a resource to connect you to the help that you need in your life. Along with that, we give a big shout out to Dr. Kim Kimberling for being back on the podcast and giving some of his wisdom that he's gained over the years. If this podcast has been helpful to you, I would ask you to consider subscribing. Uh, Make sure that you get every episode coming into your feed each week as it's released. And along with that, share with a friend. And if it has been something that you feel added value, don't forget to leave us a review on your preferred podcast player that allows reviews. Thanks again for listening. Remember the opinions provided by the host and guests on this show are not providing legal, professional, or clinical advice. If you're in need of a professional, you should find one in your community today.